Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Hear now the word of the Lord. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hey, good morning, church. My name is Steve, one of the pastors here at TCC. And it's my privilege to share the word with you this morning as we continue our sermon series, Love, a Biblical Definition of a Popular Misunderstanding. And today, on Eros, the Greek word for a romantic sexual love. Um, Let's pray a moment as we go into the word. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your love for us. Uh, Be powerfully present here with us uh, by your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, where I'd like to begin to talk about the beautiful gift of romantic love from God uh, is this in James 1 verse 17 where it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Well, right here in front... I want you to imagine that I'm standing alongside of a groom, an opportunity I have often, and it's a great joy. Uh, It might be outdoors. It might be in a church. Uh, Can you picture that? We've been invited into the eros love of this groom and bride. In this moment, a love so pervasive and, and palpable even on this very special day, their wedding day. It's taken a while to get to this moment. And, but here they are. The moment has finally arrived. I get to stand right here in front, right next to the groom, all dressed up and looking his best. And at that moment, he's experienced a mix of emotions like never before. He's excited, maybe a little overwhelmed by the, the moment, and for sure a little nervous. And the anticipation. And this anticipation continues to build as the family and wedding party enter, often with an off-the-charts cue factor with the littles hesitantly making their way down the middle aisle. The ring bearer and his little tucks, flower girls tossing their little flower petals, maybe a wagon even with some babies. And then the music changes, and the bride enters, and all stand And now all eyes are on her, 
none more in awe than those of the groom standing right next to me. And what do we see? Well, we see a radiant bride. Vividly bright, shining, glowing, marked by expressive of love, confidence, and happiness. That's the definition. And that radiant bride joins her groom at the altar and then eye to eye and heart to heart make vows to their beloved. Beloved, I take you to be my husband. I take you to be my wife. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. To love and to cherish as long as they both shall live. As long as we both shall live. To this covenant I pledge myself truly with all my heart. They share these vows with one another. A covenant made. Rings exchanged. Sometimes a unity candle or unit or a communion taken together and after which I pronounce them husband and wife in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and those whom God has joined together let no one separate and then I say to the groom you may kiss your bride and the two have become one legal economically socially emotionally in every way they've given all of themselves to each other a gift received and a gift given. Eros. And then they go on their honeymoon to which none of us are invited. Celebrating and enjoying the gift that they just received. As a sort of sacrament of the covenant they made to one another. An outward sign of an inward reality. And what is that inward reality? That the two have become one. Two persons becoming one flesh. What a gift this is from a good God that they now have, husband and wife, now to give to one another. This love is captured in the words found in Song of Songs. I'll just read a couple of verses, 15 and 17. He says, How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful you are. your eyes are doves. And she replies, how handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming, and our bed is verdant. Well, that song continues back and forth between the two lovers, more intimate and graphic as it unfolds. And this is perhaps a good place just to pause and address one common misunderstanding, that somehow God and the Bible is against romantic sexual love. Absolutely untrue, friends. From Genesis 2, where God creates Eve for Adam, and he, he responds, Whoa, man, woman, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I mean, it was a perfect match. Standing naked before one another, and the Father God right there with no shame. And then all the way to a whole book of the Bible celebrating unashamedly the gift of romantic sexual love between a husband and wife in the Song of Songs. Now, does that sound like a God? Or does that sound like the Bible is prudish and against romance and sexuality? Far from it. Love is a gift from your Father in heaven. And that, a wedding... A bride and a groom is the picture God gives for his relationship with us, his church, a radiant bride. 
Well, let's come back to our young married couple. Well, they're not so young anymore. They've been home for from their honeymoon for a while and back to life and work. And maybe they've added a few children to their little family unit on planet Earth. And they're learning. They're learning to live out this two-becoming-one covenant, seeking to unselfishly outgive one another. This is what the covenant is about. They're giving each other giving themselves to each other completely, legally and economically and socially, emotionally, and yes, physically. And each time they come together sexually, perhaps a little less frequently as the little kids sap their energy and their wedding marriage bed looks really good just to get some much-needed sleep, but whatever their age, every time they come together, it's like a covenantal sacrament of sorts, remembering, believing, celebrating, an outward sign of an inward reality, the covenant of the two becoming a one. This covenantal balm or or salve, a, a, a covenantal glue or bond between them. And in that, deeper feelings of love have grown as they've been through some better and worse together. And they've been through perhaps some richer or poorer, or sickness and in health. And as they grow old together, they continue to love, cherish, and even romance one another, keeping these vows they made to one another so long ago, until death parts them. And that is what the radiant gift of Eros love looks like between a husband and a wife within the covenant of marriage. I just want to pause there because we have a problem, don't we? I mean, you know it. You can feel it. I I know it, certainly, and see it often. What I just took half my time for in this message is not the reality of so much of our culture. And even in the best of marriages, there are eros struggles. One of my encouragements this morning is that the Apostle Paul faced the same challenge. The Corinthian church was dealing with sexual brokenness and a powerful cultural trend and current leading away from God as well, like we are. Words like radiant, pure, holy would not have described the church in Corinth in regard to eros, romance, and sexual love. How about the American church? How about Tulare Community Church? Do radiant, pure, and holy describe us? In the New Testament, like in our passage for today, it teaches what to do with this beautiful, precious gift of romantic love. Paul simply, and quite to the point, states this, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Biblical scholars and teachers agree that sexual immorality, the word is porneia, is any sexual activity outside the covenant of marriage. I'm wondering, do you believe that? I mean, our culture tells a very different story, and it tells it very well in color. Doesn't romance outside the covenant of marriage best describe most of what our culture flaunts 
celebrates, and even glamorizes? Of course, it doesn't tell the whole story, does it? What about the brokenness, the relationship, bro relational brokenness, the sexual brokenness, and pain often caused? God uses the Apostle Paul, a, a single man, by the way, to, God, to guide God's people um, back to the gift that he has for them. Let's look, quickly look at, the re, uh, at his uh, main points. In verse 12, he says, everything is permissible for me. Paul is quoting someone in the church, in that church, boasting and essentially saying, you know, I can, Paul, I can do whatever I want with my body. It's my body. You know, and don't you remember? I mean, this is what you teach. We're, we're people of grace. God, God will love us and he, he will forgive us. Sort of like we say at times, um, you know, I'll, I'll just do it. We think this and, you know, God will forgive me later. And to which Paul simply says, careful, careful. Your actions are far from beneficial and more than likely will end up enslaving you in some way which absolutely describes the impact, for example, pornography has had on the church. It's enslaved. It's, a, it's addicting. Grace is not a license to sin. The, belief should not, the believer should not live as if everything is permissible. Beyond the book of Corinthians, Paul makes it clear that freedom in Christ does not equate to freedom to sin. In Romans 6, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, under grace? May it never be, he says. And then to the Galatian Christians, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I'm looking forward to next week's message on agape. Verse 13, he continues, next Paul quotes another statement coming from the Corinthian church and from the Greeks in general. Food for the stomach, he says, and stomach for the food. Addressing another significant popular misunderstanding as well as one held by the Greeks. That sex is just an appetite. And as such, when you are hungry, you, you have it when you want it, with whomever you want it. It would be like me taking this beautiful gift of my personhood and just throwing it out into the crowd like a beach ball at a concert and it's just bouncing around. What is it going to look like? What's going to happen to it? C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity states this boldly. He says, The monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, that is the sexual, from all other kinds of union which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. Wow, monstrosity. What a strong word. Paul says essentially the same thing. He says, oh no, your, your bodies are a big deal. They, they do matter. And they do not so easily disconnect from your whole person, your soul, and your spirit. As a matter of fact, and now you'll recognize all the same covenant language from before, uh, this time though, be not between a husband and a wife, but between you, me, and God. It's amazing. 
when he says this then in verse 13, your body is not meant for sexual immorality, but it's meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. He continues, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? And now Paul is rolling and takes us back to our wedding, the two becoming one, when he says, Shall I take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. He kind of concludes at the end, and you can sense just so pastorally that he so cares for this church and wants the very best that God has intended for her. And he says this, do you not know, friends, that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your body, friends. What a dishonor it is to God, then, to unite your body with a prostitute. Of course, he was referring to the temple prostitutes in Corinth, um, so prevalent then. But now it refers to any other person other than your spouse. <laughs> well, it's not hard to imagine how revolutionary this would have sounded to the Corinthian believers. And perhaps to you. Paul gives romantic, sexual love tremendous value, but certainly not ultimate value, like, let's say, like the Hallmark Channel and most movies and programs. He says, stay single in, um, in the next chapter of his letter, assuming that if you are single, that, that you're not having sex, and, and that's okay. It's not the ultimate Okay, Steve, I, I see where you're going with this. I agree that God, what God says is best, and, and that's definitely what I want, you know, at, at some point in my life. But, you know, how about till then? You know, it, it might be God's best, but isn't, you know, at least something better than nothing, right? I mean, I'm, I'm just like test driving the car, you know, bef before I buy it. I mean, you know, even like cohabitation is like this, you know, kind of, at least it's a long audition to see if, you know, he or she is, you know, that right person and, you know, that I can really settle down with. To which Paul says, flee, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. This consumeristic kind of selfish attitude and behavior toward Eros hurts us, he says, it greatly tarnishes our relationship and radiance with God before God. Well, that's a lot. I know it's a lot. And, and I wonder, you know, what you're thinking right now. I mean, the question is, how, how do we respond to a message like this? Well, here are four ways that I would uh, suggest. Number one, if you're married, plan a romantic weekend uh, away. You know, ditch the kids. You know, Susan and I will watch them and, and celebrate the two becoming one, this covenant you made to one another, maybe a long time ago. Number two, if you are married or, 
or not married and involved in sexual immorality, Paul says in this passage, run, flee, turn away and turn toward God, the only relationship that fulfills. And thirdly, Jesus says it even more dramatic uh, in his Sermon on the Mount when he in uh, Matthew 5, verse 20, he says, But I tell you that anyone even who looks at a woman lustfully, he says, has already committed adultery within her heart. Now he's getting to our thought life. And he says, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and, and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into to hell. Wow, that is strong language. And again, what's he getting? He's just saying, listen, he, this is serious. This is to be taken seriously. Take action. It, it's a dramatic point he makes. And so do what it takes dramatically to flee and run away. And again, do what's necessary to, again, gain the freedom of the gift that the Lord has given. That might be celebrate recovery if you're in addiction or getting together in a small group just to help you work through these issues. Um, So much of that can help when we're seeking purity in this part of our life. And then finally, this. What to do? Well, come to the table, the sacrament of grace. And for the repentant, the broken, the sinner, each one of us are, There is hope and healing in Jesus. There is indeed a grace that washes us clean. We were bought with a price. And this price was Jesus on the cross. And this is the covenant paid for with his life, which you and I uh, can, as the prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 61, I delight greatly in the Lord, for my soul rejoices in my God. My soul rejoices in God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation, and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. And as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with jewels, a radiant bride. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.